Welcome to Goodfellow Podcasts. This episode is kindly supported by Pharmac. I'm Dr. Louise Kugler, and today I have the pleasure of talking to Dr. Rob Doherty about a new combination medicine to New Zealand for the management of congestive heart failure, sacubitril, valsartan, or entresto. Rob Doherty is a cardiologist and he holds the Heart Foundation Chair in Heart Health at the Auckland University. He practices both at Auckland City Hospital, where he's the leader of the heart failure service, and privately at the Auckland Heart Group. Welcome, Rob. Thank you, Louise. So, Entresto, Secubitril and Valsartan comes onto the pharmaceutical schedule on October 1. Could you introduce this drug to our listeners, please, Rob? Yes, thank you, Louise. So, uh, this is a very exciting time, I think, for patients with heart failure. So, this is a new class of drug that uh, we haven't had access to in New Zealand um, and is really relatively new to the market just over the last few, few years uh, around the world. The, the class, as we sort of term it now, is called an ARNI, um, and this describes the combination of an angiotensin receptor blocker with um, a neprolysin inhibitor. That's the A-R-N-I of ARNI. It's a combination medication with both of those drugs in the same tablet um, and three different strengths of that combination tablet, um, which perhaps I'll describe um, as being low, medium, and then the target dose. Um, uh, so those will, all three of those will be available uh, from the 1st of October. This drug is indicated for patients with heart failure who uh, have reduced ejection fraction. Uh, so the ejection fraction is the measure of pump function, as you all know. Um, and uh, the criteria for this are a left ventricular ejection fraction of less than 35%, um, and where the patient continues to have symptoms from heart failure, the NYHA functional class two, three, or four. Uh, and this is uh, in the context um, of existing medications that we'll talk about in a minute. So listeners will be familiar with the angiotensin receptor component of this medicine, but what is the nephrolysin inhibitor and what is its mechanism of action, please, Rob? Yes, so the angiotensin receptor uh, blockers obviously are something that we're very familiar with over years now in New Zealand. Um, And uh, this now adds another class of medication to the angiotensin receptor blocker. And just to understand uh, that medication, we just need to go back to a little pathophysiology, I'm afraid, um, and think about brain natriuretic peptide. So the pathophysiology of heart failure is uh, the balance of vasoconstriction and vasodilator systems in the body that become out of kilter. There's excessive vasoconstriction, which is why we use vasodilators in the routine therapy, And brain natriuretic peptide uh, is a hormone that is released from the heart muscle when the heart is under stress. And that hormone is a vasodilator. So it is released in people who have heart failure, um, but effectively that natural hormone becomes less effective. So it cannot counteract the vasoconstrictor systems. Brain natriuretic peptide itself is broken down by neprolysin. So the neprolysin inhibitor slows the breakdown of brain natriuretic peptide and so increases uh, the activity of brain natriuretic peptide, which is a vasodilator. Um, So it's a common theme of of the medications for heart failure, but now addressing a slightly different neural hormonal pathway 
that we've not been able to address with medications up until this medication is has been available. So what is so special about the combination of this medicine? So the combination um, uh, in the context for someone with heart failure um, is now to, in one tablet, uh, address two of the pathways simultaneously um, that are part of that pathophysiology of what is able to take a medication for anybody with heart failure or any condition is where a single medication is able to do that. The important thing about this medication is that we now know that this medication is better than either an ACE inhibitor alone for the patient with heart failure. So you get an additive benefit to your patient by using the neprilysin inhibitor combined with the angiotensin receptor blocker in one medication. What patients should we be considering using this medication in and where in the treatment ladder does it fit? From here on I'll, I'll, I'll call this medication Entresto. Um, uh, this as I say is the class as we call it an Arnie um, but perhaps for simplicity I'll call it Entresto um, leading forward. The current situation for this medication is to utilize the drug in the context of where the clinical evidence has come from. Um, and this, I think, is a very important principle. Um, so the clinical trial uh, uh, that was undertaken for this medication uh, involved patients with symptomatic heart failure. Um, so as we would describe it, uh, the New York Heart Association functional class mostly two and three, but a few patients with class four, which is the very severely breathless patient, and having reduced ejection fraction of below 35%, or HEF-REF, as that's often termed these days. The important principle is that the patients that were entered into that clinical trial already were receiving our standard evidence-based medications for treating heart failure. So that included a diuretic if they needed the diuretic for fluid balance management. It included uh, a, an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker at entry to the study, a beta blocker, and for some of the patients, spironolactone. So that, that's our standard evidence-based medications for patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction that we have had in New Zealand now uh, for quite a long time and are, and are well established, I think, in clinical use. The role of Entresto comes a little bit later down that cascade, if you like, of a treatment approach. So if a patient, for example, has been relatively newly diagnosed with heart failure and they're in the process of the standard uh, medications being established and titrated to maximum tolerated dosages, then all that should continue um, to achieve the maximum tolerated doses of those medications before we consider Entresto. Um, so there's quite a lot of work to do there for those patients with heart failure before we actually get down to utilizing Entresto. The context of then being able to utilize Entresto uh, will require a special authority. Um, that application can be from any relevant practitioner. Uh, the approvals are valid for 12 months and the criteria uh, uh, are exactly as I've described it, where a patient uh, has symptomatic heart failure, class two, three, or four with their symptoms, an ejection fraction of less than or equal to 35%, and they are receiving 
are optimal um, existing heart failure medications. So really the special authority mirror exactly the process that was utilized in the clinical trial and that now can be implemented into clinical practice for the use of this medication. So we are introducing now a new class of medication um, for patients with heart failure and medication management for many patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction can be quite complex as you're all very aware as you see these patients all the time. And some of these patients are, are relatively unstable as I'll describe it. And the initial approach to using an Entresto in New Zealand uh, uh, I recommend is in conjunction um, with a specialty service. This may be your local cardiology service or your heart failure specific service if you have that available at your DHB. And I think this is really a uh, pragmatic approach to safely using this medication that does have some potential risk as we introduce this. And we'll talk about that risk in a minute. So Rob, what are the benefits to our patients of using this new medication? That's a very important question, Louise, and, and this is a very exciting time to have this medication. Uh, we know the benefits of the existing therapies that we use for patients with heart failure um, are substantial. Um, that's in how patients feel, quality of life improvement, helping to keep people out of hospital and helping people to live longer. We now have an Entresto that uh, from the large clinical trial has now been demonstrated to have further clinical benefits over and above our existing therapies, including over and above an, a standard ACE inhibitor. Those benefits are substantial. Uh, the number needed to treat uh, is only 21 uh, when we are looking at the combined endpoint of either a patient dying or being readmitted to hospital with worsening heart failure, clearly both of which are very, very poor outcomes for patients with heart failure. So a number needed to treat of 21 means that we only need to treat 21 people over about two years to prevent one patient dying um, or being readmitted to hospital with worsening heart failure during that time period. So that is a very substantial treatment effect, and that effect is greater, it's over and above that that you can expect uh, with an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker alone. We haven't had a medication like this now for a significant number of years for patients with heart failure. So it really is a game-changing medication um, for patients for their clinical outcomes as well as symptomatic benefit. And really the experience overseas um, of the implementation of Entresto um, has been very, very successful uh, with a lot of reported benefits to, to patients and clearly to the healthcare systems mm. that are under a tremendous uh, a strain with the resources that, that heart failure patients require. So discussing dosing now, what is the starting dose and how is it titrated? So for Entresto, um, first of all, in the assessment of your patient, uh, the patient should be able to tolerate either an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. And you just need to obviously be aware of what dose of that medication that they are on already. The patient clearly will need to have had an ejection fraction measured, but they're very likely to have had that already as part of their routine clinical care. Um, 
the measurement of blood pressure on their existing medications is important and the recommendation um, is only if a patient has a blood pressure of more than 95 millimeters of mercury systolic. Renal function is also highly relevant and the recommendation is um, for patients where an eGFR is greater than or equal to 30 mils per minute. The process to initiate Entresto um, after you have uh, obtained the special authority um, is very important to uh, ensure that this is followed very carefully by your patients. The crucial part here is that the ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker that they're currently taking needs to be stopped two days before Entresto is started. Uh, so that's two days before Entresto is started to reinforce that. It's absolutely crucial that your patients do not receive an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker as well as Entresto. Uh, so that two-day period is, is really the first management point really to reinforce at the point of starting a medication. So the, the dose for Entresto uh, does depend uh, that, that you start on does depend on the dose uh, of existing ACE inhibitor that the patient has been taking previously. So let's take, for example, your patient who is taking salazapril. They are on the maximum dose of salazapril, let's say five milligrams per day, and have been tolerating this very well. They'd stop the salazapril 48 hours before commencing Entresto and could then start on the Entresto um, at 49 slash 51 milligrams twice daily. So this is a twice daily medication taken in the morning and the evening. It's a slightly kind of, because it's a combination medicine, it's got slightly kind of awkward uh, dosages to write down, but we'll all become familiar with that, I guess, as time goes on. Um, but that's the starting dose if you're on the maximum doses of ACE inhibitor. If you're not, if your patient is not on a maximum dose of ACE inhibitor prior to starting in Tresto, then you would choose the lower dose of, of Tresto to commence, which is a 24, 26 milligram twice daily dose. And there are tablets for both of those dosages, so the patient isn't having to half a tablet or something like that. The process then is as we would routinely recommend for other heart failure medications, particularly anything that lowers blood pressure in the heart failure context, which is to gradually titrate the dose um, every, about every two weeks. Um, it doesn't have to be two weeks, it could be four weeks, but um, probably not before two weeks to allow your patient to um, adapt um, uh, uh, to that new medication. And this is very similar to any other vasodilator medication. Uh, the patient needs to be assessed at each of those titration steps. Um, they should have their blood pressure checked. Um, and I'd also recommend that they have a, a seated or lying and standing blood pressure, um, particularly the more elderly patients or, as I'll describe it, more fragile patients where um, postural symptoms may be very relevant in your, in your treatment decision titration steps. They should also have renal function checked at each of your titration steps, looking for the, uh, a change in creatinine um, and also for change in potassium. Um, and that's very standard as you would be doing for an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker, which you're very familiar with using. Um, so the titration steps are a face-to-face -face clinical visit um, with those clinical assessments um, being done at each step. Assuming that blood pressure is satisfactory, 
are with, without significant postural hypotension, renal function stable and the potassium um, is less than 5.4 for example, um, then you can go to the next step of the titration, um, which usually is recommended to be double the dose. Um, so if they were, for example, receiving the 49-51 milligram tablet, you would increase that to the 97-103 milligram tablet. Um, and at that final, whatever is your, appears to be your, your final titration step, they should be seen again another two weeks later, um, again with the similar checks being done. The process, I think, needs to be communicated carefully to the patient so they're aware of the potential for hypotensions um, and just to be advised. And again, this is the kind of general advice you're all giving to patients all the time. So um, there's nothing new here. I just think we need to reinforce this at this point. Um, the other practical side of it that I think we struggle with in changing heart failure medications is where your patient um, has medications that are blister packed, for example. Um, so the timing of the commencement of Entresto you might need to just think carefully about to ensure that the ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor blocker that they're currently receiving is not in the blister pack that they're carrying on with once they commence in Dresto. So a bit of communication there with the patient's pharmacist. Um, so I don't think it's good enough for the patient just to remove, try and remove the ACE inhibitor or angiotensin re receptor themselves, the tablet from their blister pack. I think it needs to be a new pack without those medications. That would be my, my, my approach, Louise. Mm, so, excellent point, yeah. thank you. Yeah. Are there any populations that we need to start more slowly? Yes, and, and again, I, I, I'd come back to how you would ordinarily be using ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptor blockers, that there are groups of patients where you have a patient, for example, who is, has a relatively lower blood pressure at the beginning um, perhaps a blood pressure between 100 and 110 millimetres of mercury systolic. Um, your older patient, what is older these days, I don't quite know, but for example, over, over 75, those sort of factors, um, you're all extremely good at clinically assessing those people, and I think it's using the common sense around that to say, if you're uncertain about the patient in relation to their blood pressure, uh, then start at the lower dose, which is the 24-26 milligram tablet, and titrate in that process. The other consideration I think is that, and certainly some of the experience that I've heard from overseas is that actually it may take a little bit longer um, and having another go at titration over some weeks or even a few months to get to the maximum tolerated dosages. So there's no rush to titrate. Um, and if for whatever other intercurrent reason you decide to delay the titration, there's no problem in that. Um, try and carry on best you can, but do go back and try and see if you can get to the maximum tolerated dose for your individual patient. The potassium at the time of assessment we've talked about, but a potassium of more than 5.4 millimoles per litre, um, you should not be trying to use Entresto in those patients. And uh, there has been talk um, of dose adjustment if the renal function with an EGFR is less than 30 mils per minute. Um, this starts to extend a little bit beyond some of the clinical trial data where very few patients have been put into clinical trials with, with worse renal function um, 
But if you are considering using this in people with an EGFR of less than 30 mils per minute, I absolutely would use the lower dose, the 24-26 milligram tablet in that sort of context. Are there any other special considerations thinking paediatric patients or pregnant and breastfeeding women? Yes, uh, so this is a class D in pregnancy. Um, um, there is very, um, th there is virtually no experience with using Entresto in paediatric populations. So if you are considering in that population, I, I would recommend that is with very carefully thought out specialist advice. Um, and in the very elderly, perhaps the more frail elderly, it, it, it mirrors some of the discussion we've already had where you're perhaps concerned about hypotension um, and in particular, particularly postural hypotension perhaps being a risk to your patients. So those are the kind of perhaps selected populations to consider. There are other considerations for Entresto. Uh, so severe uh, hepatic impairment is is really a contraindication. So for example, a patient with liver cirrhosis, um, Entresto is contraindicated. Uh, mild impairment of, of liver uh, tests uh, would again err on the side of just dose reduction using and starting at a low dose. And if the liver bloods are abnormal, then I would recommend that those liver bloods are monitored at each titration step um, as you would do it for many other medications. A history of angioedema on an ACE inhibitor is a really a contraindication to Entresto. Um, now, as we've been talking about, the patient we're talking about as being eligible for Entresto is a patient who already is existing to be stable on either an ACE inhibitor or an angiotensin receptor blocker. So if, there, if there's a history of angioedema and they're not on either of those medications already, then you should not be commencing Entresto. Bilateral renal artery stenosis, um, as it is for other inhibitors of the renin angiotensin system like ACE inhibitors and ARBs, is again a, a contraindication. Um, now, that r only rarely is, is, is a surprise finding um, as we're titrating ACE inhibitors, for example, but you know, if the patient has worsening of their renal function, then you're looking for the causes to why their renal function is worsening. And a big step up in creatinine as you commence a drug like this would perhaps ring alarm bells to look at the kidneys and, and including for renal artery stenosis. Your very symptomatic heart patient with heart failure with, with symptoms of breathlessness at rest, for example, so NYHA class four, again, extrapolating from the clinical trial data, very few patients were entered into the major clinical trial in that context. And I would really be urging perhaps a uh, careful reassessment of that patient, consideration of their diuretic management and their existing therapies to see how far you can optimize that patient's current management, including is the patient uvolemic on optimal diuretic dose for that individual um, uh, as part of your routine clinical assessment before you commenced Entresto. So I don't think it's sensible to be progressing aggressively with Entresto in your, in your patient who is symptomatic at rest and, and, and in a lot of trouble from their symptoms. So what are the red flags that require an urgent referral in terms of the blood work that you talked about prior? So major red flags, uh, symptomatic hypotension. So if a patient reports that or you pick that up, then I think the 
logical thing at that stage is either dose reduction or temporarily withholding the medication. Um, that will obviously depend on your clinical judgment at that time. Uh, but the other major red flags would be worsening renal function. So uh, a step up in creatinine. I know many of these patients clearly, as we all are aware, will have pre-existing renal impairment. Um, so really you're monitoring this in the same way that you're all familiar with uh, monitoring ACE inhibitors and, and angiotensin re receptor blockers in patients with heart failure. So you're expecting that there'll be some movement around their creatinine but you're looking for that step up, perhaps a 20% a, a rise in creatinine um, as, a, as, a, as a rule of thumb, but obviously any concern, um, again, really pause. Don't just carry on titration um, and look for reassessment. Um, and then the other is hyperkalemia. So um, a, a potassium that rises um, more than 5.4 millimoles per litre to above, sorry, to above 5.4 millimoles per litre during a process of titration. Again, pause, down titrate if necessary, withhold medication if necessary, and try and sort that out. Is that due to the Entresto steps that you've done, or has there been some intercurrent problem contributing to that hyperkalemia? Talking about side effects, what side effects should we be warning our patients of? So very important question and I think uh, this is something really to communicate very well with the patient um, and probably with some written instruction as well I would suggest. Um, the first is hypotension. Um, now again you're familiar with using vasodilators in patients with heart failure so there's nothing really different here except what I would say is we're probably going to have a bit more of this than you would have with ACE inhibitors or angiotensin receptors alone. So you're kind of going to expect that. You're going to warn your patient about symptomatic hypotension, postural symptoms, and clearly advice that if they fainted uh, standing up, they must seek medical attention straight away. Um, so blood pressure, hypotension symptoms, really important. As with any change in medications, obviously a number of other symptoms can occur. So GI upset with some diarrhea, headaches, gastritis kind of symptoms. So I think general gut, gut level symptoms um, um, should obviously be reported by the patient. Um, and then advice about angioedema. Um, now the risk of angioedema does um, appear extremely low. Um, we're talking of, of a handful of cases per thousand patients treated. So the risk is extremely small, as it is actually for ACE inhibitors. Um, so uh, we don't want to sort of overemphasize this and scare our patients, um, but we do need to advise the patient about that. Um, uh, and as I say, um, a, a written information sheet would, I think, be very appropriate, as you would do for many medications, as you commence this new medication. Are there any important drug interactions that we need to be aware of? There are, there are important drug interactions and I think maybe the first way to discuss that is um, perhaps just think the existing heart failure medications first of all. So the ACE inhibitor or angiotensin receptor the patient was taking, they no longer will be taking and you'll check that. Um, so that's very important. Um, but they'll be taking diuretic, usually taking a diuretic, furuzumide at whatever dose is required. They may well be on spironolactone or eplerinome now that that is funded. They may also be using potassium supplements that we do or do not know about all the time. So 
I think just being aware of their other heart failure medications, particularly when we're considering monitoring of renal function and of the potassium on your, your sequential blood tests. So just being aware um, um, of those other medications and tracking that carefully with your patients. Clearly the patient is going to need, most of your patients will need some degree of frusamide at some point. Um, and some of those patients will be quite high dose frusamide. So I guess the higher the dose of frusamide, the more care and attention we just need to be thinking of, of the role of frusamide if we're seeing those changes in creatinine or potassium. There's a potential interaction um, uh, with sildenafil and uh, I would not be recommending that your patient take sildenafil if they're on Entresto. Um, the risk is of severe hypotension. There is a, uh, a mechanistic interaction with statins um, and I think this is something we need to learn a bit more about but we do need to be aware of and particularly aware of in the context of your patient who perhaps has had a, an acute coronary syndrome at some point over the last few years. You're all aware that the standard of care now in those years afterwards, after a heart attack, is actually high dose statins. So in, in New Zealand, many of your patients will be receiving a torvastatin 80 milligrams daily. Um, and there is a reported interaction between Entresto and the statins um, and potentially increasing um, the effect of the statin. So we're already talking about very high dose statin and then increasing the effect of that. Um, now, how we deal with that is going to be a, um, a challenge ahead, I think. Um, my personal view would be to uh, consider reducing the statin. Um, if you're several years away from an acute heart attack, your patient has heart failure um, and you're starting Entresto, my personal view would be to, to perhaps reduce the dose of the statin, not to stop it, but to reduce the dose as you commence the Entresto. Um, that is a little bit of um, my own thought process behind this though, rather than evidence-based, I would add. Non-steroidals, um, now non-steroidals, as we all know, are not great for heart failure patients to take at all. Um, and uh, again, the interaction with Entresto is going to be uh, not without problems. And, and my strong recommendation would be for all heart failure patients um, to be avoiding non-steroidal um, uh, drugs wherever possible. There is also a uh, uh, um, mechanistic interaction with metformin. It's relatively modest. And, it, and the current recommendations are not to change the, the, the dose of metformin, um, but, but perhaps to monitor how effective the metformin is, HbA1c, for example. And if you're seeing some big changes, then just consider the drug interactions that are going on. It's also the potential interaction with lithium. Um, so monitoring of lithium levels, um, perhaps as the process of titration is going on. And to conclude our podcast today, what would your take-home messages be for our listeners, please? So the take-home message in relation to Entresto is this is a very exciting time um, to have access to this drug. This is a very important drug. We haven't talked so much about the overall benefits, but the benefits are substantial. So the number needed to treat um, for patients with heart failure is 21 to prevent. So you need to treat 21 people for about two years to prevent one of those people dying or being admitted to hospital with worsening heart failure over and above an ACE inhibitor. So 
we're talking about a substantial treatment benefit um, with this new medication. And our challenge now is to get this available to and, and implemented for patients with heart failure with reduced ejection fraction. We need to administer this carefully. We need to obviously follow the special authority criteria, which are the evidence-based criteria for the drug in the first place, and then implement the initiation and titration of Entresto carefully uh, with the monitoring that we've described in this podcast. Um, and I would reinforce my comment at the beginning, but to work closely with your cardiology, medical, heart failure services um, at your local DHB as you're becoming more familiar with this drug. This is new to all of us in New Zealand. Um, and as with any new drug, we should use this carefully. Um, it shouldn't stop us using it. You should use it carefully and we should consult um, with appropriate specialist um, and collegial uh, 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 reviews for your individual patients as you're going through this process. Thank you, Rob. It's been a pleasure talking to you today. If you're a New Zealand GP and would like to claim CPD points for listening to this podcast, please fill in the Reflection of Learning form found at goodfellowunit.org. Thank you for listening.